Thank you for tuning into my podcast. The mission of The Authentic Networker is to inspire a new way of being with each other, inspiring each other, championing, collaborating with each other to inspire a successful journey. Each of us wants more than anything to be loved and to matter in our world. Success is a big part of that. So I seek to interview people that have something unique and extraordinary to say about the journey of success in the people business. Authentic networkers are curious connectors, authentically expanding their network. They listen to, are present, and honor the diverse values and experiences of others. If this philosophy resonates with you, I encourage you to study it and share it with your network. Let's dive into another epic interview and learn some of these stories. Hey, everybody. Richard Blissbrook here with another Authentic Networker podcast. And I've got a radical guest today. He's a big departure from my normal guest. Just look at his screen. Looks what, what, Most of the people I have on this show, they don't wear those glasses. They don't have that big rock scene going. What is going on? Who is this guy? Well, maybe, I don't know, if you're into the rock scene at all in the last 25, 30 years, you might recognize him as Mark Schulman, who is, uh, gosh, just a global drummer. That's what I'm going to call you, Mark. A global rock star drummer. I mean, your resume reads like literally the who's who of drumming. And say hi to everybody, and then I'm going to tell people a little bit about you. Hello, all my dear friends and fans of Richard. If you're a fan <laughs> of Richard, then I'm here to support you and love you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so what Mark's got going on behind him is he's got live footage of his rock concerts. And this guy has drummed in front of as many as 225,000 people at a time. Uh, here's just a couple of stats. He's top three pop rock drummers in the 2014-2019 Modern Drummer Readers Poll, featured on the cover artist in the May 2019 issue. He's done four record-breaking world tours with Pink. He plays with Cher on her two, bi two biggest tours. Uh, Billy Idol, Foreigner, Sheryl Crow, Stevie Nicks, Beyonce. <laughs> Wait a minute. I got to ask you, Mark. I don't know how many years I've had an infatuation with Stevie Nicks when she sings Rooms on Fire. Was that you drumming? No, I performed just, I did one of her tours. I well, did, she had to sing the song, the, right? The Bombay Sapphire Tour in 2001 with, with Stevie and Cheryl Crow on the same stage sharing oh the gosh. band. So that was quite a an amazing experience. I have so much gratitude for that and so many other wonderful artists with whom I've worked and experiences I've had. Yeah, oh, crazy. And so I'm just, I just want to paint a picture for people because we're going to double back and ask the questions. How did all this happen? Who are you? Who have you become? Who did you used to be? Who are you becoming? And I mean, you've even branched now out now into uh, an awesome motivational speaker I mean, you've been on everything from the Grammys, David Letterman to The Night Show, Conan O'Brien, Jon Stewart, American Idol. <laughs> and they still owe me money. Just kidding. What? <laughs> That's crazy. So here's how I met Mark. I, I met Mark when he was writing his book, Conquering Life's Stage Fright. And he's going to tell us about 
I mean, here's this guy that's on the biggest stages of the world where I don't imagine you're really allowed the opportunity or the grace of messing up your drum routine when uh, Cher is knocking it out of the park. I imagine you pretty much have to be on it. And so what we're going to talk about today, Mark, is just your journey. How did you go from being a guy who was literally afraid to be on stage to being on the biggest stages of the world? And we're going to talk about your book and we're going to talk about your philosophies and some of your coaching and because you've you're, you're you've done it all, you're doing it all, and now you've branched out into author and motivational speaker and keynote speaker and coach and pretty amazing career. So my first question, Mark, for storytelling purposes, is how how did you fall in love with drumming? Because I know there's a cello in there. How did you fall in love with drumming, and then expand that to how did you get good enough at drumming so the best artists in the world want you on their stage? I don't know. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will say the drums chose me. I was a real young and maybe two years old, saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. I saw John, Paul and George and something was activated inside of me. And then I saw Ringo and I was like, that's it. I've got to have that. Then I saw the screaming girls. It was like, oh, I always love the girls as much as the music. I'm telling you the truth. And then I'm like, mama, I got to play drums. And she's like, no, can't you play a nice instrument like your brother, Randy? He plays violin. So we used to go to my brother Randy's violin lessons, who was taught by my godfather. And then I saw what looked to be a big violin standing in the corner. And I said, I'll play that. Turns out it was cello. So I started playing cello, but drums was in my heart. Sat down at a drum set when I was five years old at my neighbor's house. Could play. Just knew what to do. I wasn't a prodigy, but I could play. And it was just in me. It was just something that resonated with me from the moment I saw Ringo and that big, beautiful nose and his hands swishing back and forth. That was it. And then my parents used to go, you know, they'd go away at night, uh, at a, uh, you know, doing their thing. And I'd have a babysitter and I'd pull down the Sears catalog and I'd go to the little drumming section and circle drums and leave it out on the table for them. And finally, at nine years old, they couldn't deny my passion any longer. And they they bought me my first set of drums wow. and I played my first band. I played my first professional gig at 12. Um, then I said, you know, something just happened where my lighting just dramatically changed. I think something <laughs> just came in from the side and messed up my green screen. Hang on a second. I got to, right. I got to close. There it came back. Give me one thing here. What are you doing here? That's not my, <laughs> my world. There we go. Ah, can't have that green screen looking bad, man. All right, here we go. So turn uh, your yeah, turn your computer a little. There you go. You got you're like the Wizard of Oz. Mark, you're like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I, I've got a video studio, but I'm in my I'm in my studio in the house. Uh, right. just the, uh, this, the this with my with my pull up green screen. Got a green screen wherever I go. You know, some people have fans and assistants. I have a green screen. So. Uh, that was it. And then I just, it was my responsibility to just develop my craft, which I did. And I played in bands and correcting you a little earlier, I did not have stage fright, go on stage. 
what happened was I got my first opportunity to audition for my first big audition. And that was with a band called Bad English. I was in my 20s. I had already led my own band. I had already played all these gigs. I've been playing and playing and playing and clocking all those Gladwell hours. And I thought I was it. I thought I was ready. And I got this audition and I got so nervous that I was rushing horribly. And I completely messed up the audition. I thought that was going to be my defining career day where I got the greatest gig of my life. Well, it was a defining day, but that was the day I defined whether I was going to step off the stage for good because I'd failed that audition so miserably, or I was going to stay on that stage and figure out what I needed to correct. And I made two promises to myself that day. One is that Nobody would ever tell me I'm speeding up or slowing down unless I want to speed up or slow down because the core, the foundation of any great musician is their internal meter. And the other uh, promise I made was like, I'm going to just transform that fear into confidence. So then I spent two years working solid, developing my internal sense of time. And to this day, nobody's ever told me I'm speeding up or slowing down unless I want to speed up or slow down. And I became very philosophical and I met a man who is the co-writer of my upcoming book, who's still my life coach 35 years ago, who inspired me, Dr. Jim Samuels. And I just became very philosophical. I stopped partying. I stopped drinking and doing drugs. I got very serious about my craft and about my uh, just learning every, you know, I'm like a sponge. I want to learn everything I can learn to be able to increase my performance and learn about both, both, uh, you know, emotional, physical, spiritual, whatever I can, whatever I can learn that's going to enhance what I do. And that's what I did. And eventually, um, I was, I got my first gig playing with Brenda Russell, who was opening up for Billy Ocean. Um, and then I uh, fortunately didn't have to audition for Brenda. And then there's a whole story I, how I got the Richard Marks gig. I basically talked myself into it. I didn't need to audition for that. So I managed to get out of auditions, but I did audition for Foreigner. I did audition for Stevie Nicks and I auditioned for Cher three times. I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records for the guy who's auditioned for Cher more than any other person. And I finally got the gig in 1999. So it was a lot of um, experience and a lot of commitment and a lot of attitude adjustment, which is the topic of my next book, which is the power of attitude. Um, and I think that all these things combined and the successes that I've had and the decisions I've made and the fact that I am incredibly tenacious and actually just the opposite of, of afraid when it comes to communicating with people and going for what I want. Um, and uh, that's how it's sort of one thing leads to another and you gain a reputation and there are plenty of gigs I didn't get. I auditioned for George Michael. I didn't get that. I didn't get the Backstreet Boys. Plenty of gigs I auditioned for I didn't gig, but I got enough of them that led to other gigs. And the, then the rest uh, is a lot of history. history. <laughs> I, could, I got stories for days, but we'd be here for hours. Oh, that's all right. That's what I want is some of your stories. So I want to go back to, um, you know, Gladwell's 10,000 hours. So you just glazed over that. But, you know, all of this, this phenomenal, you know, rock star stuff and, you know, the all the big names, what that all comes after the 10,000 hours. Absolutely. And most of the people listening to this podcast mark they're really at the beginning or somewhere in the middle of their 10,000 hours 
And what they're struggling with is how do they get the motivation to do the work every day, to practice, to put the reps into what I call compounding consistency. So you know, like how, do you, how do you get fired up to do that and do it? And then how do you keep sharpening your axe so that you're not making the same mistakes over and over again? So could you give us some granular history on, you know, in the early days when you got your first drum set, how, what did you actually do? What was the process you went through to get to the point where you could audition for a big rock band and be accepted? What was the process of getting highly skilled? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it's what, what I speak about right now, and it's the topic of my next book. I'll just cut right to the chase and give the, the readers some really valuable information. It, and I learned it very early, and I intuitively, I think that the, great, the, the greatest performers on, on the planet understand this, in, this intuitively. But it's a little formula I'm going to give you, and it begins with the power of attitude. Now, people think attitude, schmattitude. I've been hearing about attitude my whole damn life. What are you going to tell me? Well, I'll tell you. I'm going to, first of all, congratulate everybody because you are, everybody, you're all the proud owners of your very own attitude because your attitude is with you 100% of the time, whether you like it or not. It affects you. It infects you. It affects others. It infects others. It's very contagious. But what is so phenomenal about attitude, why I call it the golden ticket, is we cannot control so much of what happens to us as evidenced by this global pandemic. But you always have the power at any moment in time, I'm talking about right now, to change, shift, or control your attitude about what is happening to you. And this gives you enormous power, and I'll tell you why. Your attitude is your point of view. It's where you're looking from. I call it your vantage point or your disadvantage point, depending upon the attitude you choose. But remember, it's not what you're looking at, it's what you see and perceive. And your attitude is so powerful that the way you view yourself and the lens through which you see the world is based on the stories that you tell yourself, which is based on the attitudes that you choose and the meaning that you attach to people and things and, and consequences. But what makes this incredibly powerful because the attitude is just the foundation now listen up, everybody, because this is really critical. Your attitude is what drives your behavior. And one attitude can drive many behaviors. And your behavior is what determines the consequences of your life. And one attitude can drive many consequences. Now, this is a formula. A times B equals C. Attitude times behavior equals consequence. Now, when I tell people this formula, I will ask your readers just to answer this inside your own head. When you hear about a potentially life-changing formula like this, do you ignore it? Are you interested? Or are you committed? Because there's a difference. If you ignore it, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're missing. If you're interested, you might try it. You know, you might think of some story as to why it doesn't work. If you're committed, you just do it. And understand that you have the power right now to shift your attitude and drive more desirable behavior and consequences. People make the mistake of thinking that it's all about behavior modification. It is not. What it is about, it's about reverse engineering this particular formula. You think of the greatest consequences you can possibly think of. I'm talking about 
think outside the box. <laughs> there is no box because I'll tell you, the world class begins where your comfort zone ends. So I've gotten outside of my comfort zone so many times when I'm calling people on the phone and I've called some pretty heavy people on the phone. And I'll tell you that story in a minute. But think of the greatest consequence or consequences you could think of. Backtrack and think what would be the behavior you would need to cultivate or manifest to achieve those consequences. And then go back to attitude because it all begins with attitude. What? That's where people, what they miss. They miss that you need to literally consciously choose or select your attitude. And it's a matter of shifting your attitude. I may shift my attitude consciously 20 times in a day because I know that I'm going to need to produce certain behaviors to produce certain consequences. Mm -hmm. But the value of understanding this formula can change your life. And I'll give you a, a few of my attitude's greatest hits really, really quickly. Good. One is viewing things instead of you have to, shift them to a get to. So in other words, like I, used, I did that with practicing drums as an example, or practicing my script or writing anything out. I don't have to do it. I get to do it because if you shift it to a get to, it moves, it reframes it in your head from being a chore into a choice. And what it also does is it makes you, puts you in the cause position of what you want rather than the effect position of what you do not want. We all want to be the cause position of what we want, right? You reframe things and it changes your experience. And so what I've done is I've reframed so many things in my life to change my experience. I mean, how the hell else do you think that I can play So What by Pink 800 times and have the 800 time be just as fresh as the first time? And What's I, the attitude you have that has you be fresh on the 800th time? I'll tell you exactly what it is. I realized at some point I made a decision. Right now, making a decision unto itself is a very powerful attitude shift. Because when you make a decision, you cut off all other possibilities. And our life is based on the decisions we make, which are based on the attitudes we choose. So I made a decision after a, after a conversation I had with Billy Idol, when he actually said, you know, mate, I get on stage and every, I sing every single note like it's the last note I'm ever going to sing. And I thought, now that's a level of commitment. And when I heard that, I said, you know, I could adopt that. And I made this decision that every single time I sit behind the drums, that every single note I play on the drums matters. Every beat, every drum, where I hit it, how I hit it, the combination of rhythms, it all matters. And it finally hit me that if it all matters, I'm attaching a sense of purpose to every single note. Now, people talk about passion, but to sustain passion, you have to have your purpose, your why. What is your driving force? So if every single note matters, guess what? Then I become passionate about every note. And the passion drives the purpose. The purpose drives the passion. It's like a cycle of empowerment. I have more fun. And the more fun you're having, the higher level in which you perform. So everything sort of begets everything else. So that's how I stay motivated. So an attitude of fun has you engage and motivate. An attitude of bringing purpose to every detail. Every detail. What did you do? Shifting your have tos to get tos. Yeah, I love that. Very simply, you know that if you smile, it might be fake at first, but after a <laughs> while, it turns real. When you smile, you are there are hundreds of muscles in your in your in your face that are actually 
sending a signal to your body to relax and sending endorphins to your brain. So even the act of smiling, another big one is gratitude. I mean, my nickname from Pink is Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. That's because I used to remind her of the power of gratitude early in early days. But gratitude is so incredibly powerful because when you're focused on gratitude, you're focusing on the money in the bank, the fuel in the tank, your successes, your wins, as opposed to the focus where so many of us have right now in COVID, which is the focus of scarcity, of challenges, of blocks, of fear. And you have the power if you just consciously, in other words, remember, if you're committed and just think of one thing for which you're grateful, one bit of appreciation, and then another bit of appreciation, and then forecast other gratitudes you may have, and you get yourself immersed in this mindset of gratitude, trust me, you will forget about all the crap and all the blocks because you're so grateful. That's the first thing I do in the morning is I smile and I think of three people for which I'm grateful and three reasons for which I'm grateful for these people. And when I give my speeches, I have the whole audience take out their phones and send a gratitude text. I give them 45 minutes to send a gratitude text. And you can better, you better believe, man, if I could see the audience, everybody's smiling so bright. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. what there's two parts of gratitude. One is acknowledging gratitude. The other is expressing the gratitude. And I got to tell you, gratitude has saved my ass. It's one of the most so, powerful attitude shifts because it's so immediate, and it really changes your state. You know, Tony Robbins talks about state. State is where you are, your body. And sometimes I'll do physical things to shift my attitude. I'll go down every morning. I get up and I do a hundred to hundred and ten push-ups in a row. Talk about shifting your attitude right away. Body goes, ah! but it ins- it stimulates endorphins. So, in other words, it's it's also con- you're, you're conscious. It's being consciously aware. It's like being the observer. People talk about the observer. I observe myself, and I fix harms that I cause. I'm not perfect, and I made a big mistake with my ten year old daughter yesterday, and I fixed the harm. You know, with my wife and I, we get on because I'd much rather be happy than right. I'd much rather <laughs> my harm. You know, I don't give a shit if I'm right. Excuse my French. I'd rather be happy. And she knows that. So we fix our harms. We take responsibility, culpability. Pink is one of the greatest leaders on the planet. She leads 225 people on the road because she's culpable. She's responsible. She takes care of everybody. She doesn't go eat by herself. She hangs out in catering. I remember one day it was kind of funny because there was this long line and she's at the back of the line. The manager's like, go to the front of the line. She's like, I'm not going to the front of the line because I want to be like everybody else. I'm not going to put myself above everybody else. I mean, okay, I may be the boss, but as Simon Sinek says, who's one of my you know favorite authors and, and speakers, great leaders eat lunch last. I say great band members, great team members. We all take care of each other. And I realize that if everybody around me is taken care of, I'm fine. I'm not that high maintenance. You know, I'm a drummer. Drummers are like shepherds, man. We're the foundation. So naturally, it's like, you know, we're used to being the foundation for everybody else. Like when we're going to get on the bus, I let everybody else on first, you know, because if everybody else is cool, I'm cool. I don't care about that much. You give me a cup of coffee and an old cup and a little bit of a water and, and, and oh, I just spilled my coffee and I'm not even going to I just spilled it on my phone, you know. Um, a little less coffee for me, a little more for the desk. It's okay. 
So you kind of get the, you, I, you, I think you got the gist of my personality and, and who I am. I, I kind of gave you my, my, uh, my greatest hits there. <laughs> that was, that was so good. I got a couple of more questions to bring out some more hits. Sure. Um, what's the biggest as a professional or an up and coming professional, what's the biggest disappointment, failure, frustration, and I mean one where you were kind of shocked, caught off guard. Um, it might be a failure. It might be a, a rebuff of someone. Um, what's the biggest disappointment you've had as a professional? And how did you create your way out of it? Well, how did you it rebound? Actually, it actually was that story. When I failed that bad English audition, I literally went out to my car and started crying. And I was beating on the steering wheel going, doctor, lawyer, accountant, why didn't I listen to my Jewish parents and pick that? That would have been an easier, would have been way easier just to graduate and get a PhD and get a job. But that was the defining moment because that's when I needed to make the decision, okay, am I willing to do the work? And how's my approach to doing the work? Because you'll be willing to do the work if you have the attitude of how to make, how to make the work more joyful, how to get more out of it. You know, my first book was Conquering Life, Stage Fright, but that was really a front for the three. You didn't talk about the subtext, which is the three steps to top performance. So I'll right. give you another triad in addition to A times B equals C, but this is very important. You need, we call, I call them the three C's. They were created by Dr. Jim, my writing partner. Clarity, capability, confidence. If you're super clear about your goals, really clear about your daily goals, your monthly goals, your long-term goals, then you know and you figure out what kind of capability, where you need to spend those 10, 20, 30,000 hours. And that leads you to real confidence, not fake confidence. Because when I'm playing underneath pink and she's doing death-defying stunts and she almost died one day when she wasn't clipped in properly, I thought she was dead when she was doing the ending so what and her carabiner clip was turned upside down and they didn't have time to warn her and she raised her hand and instead of getting lifted up over the audience and cruising around the audience she got dragged across the stage pulled six feet off the stage into the pit and pulled up against the metal side railing and i thought she was dead so attitude so so anyways um i i, I that was clarity a Clarity. So you need to have real clarity about your goals. You need to develop that real capability. So my point was that she needs to have complete confidence in what I'm doing and complete confidence in what everybody else is doing, or she can die. This was just a freak accident. But the reality is that there's no, like on Broadway, they have stand-ins, right? There's no stand-in drummer. If I right. got 103 temperature, I'm going on stage. I mean, unless I'm dead or unless I've broken both legs, she needs to rely on me. So I need to have developed real confidence. And the way to develop real confidence is to do the work gracefully with the clarity about the work that needs to be done. And I'll also, I'll tell you something else. I've been fearless about communicating. You know, I don't Tell me care. about that. You know, when I, I, I auditioned for Foreigner, I got the gig, I didn't hear anything for months. Bass player friend of mine tells me, hey, Foreigner's cutting a record at Conway Recording Studios. I'm like, what do you mean they're cutting a record without me? So I call up the manager, fearlessly, I'm like, Kevin, 
uh, I thought I was a drummer. He said, well, Mark, I'm sorry. We hired a producer named Keith Forsey, and he's a drummer himself, but he uses a, a guy named Tal Bergman, who's also a friend, great drummer. He said, he doesn't know you. He doesn't feel safe using you. Uh, I, I'm sorry. We're cutting a few tracks with them, but you, you are the drummer in the band. I said, Kevin, can I have Keith's number? He said, sure. So I called up Keith, and trust me, my heart was beating, but it didn't stop me. And I left him a message and said, Keith, this is Mark Shulmanless, and I'm the drummer that got the gig in Foreigner. I know Tal Bergman's a badass. I know you always use him, but if there's ever a time where you can't use Tal, give me a call. Well, I'll be damned. Three months later, I get a call from Keith Forsey. He's really hyper-British. I say, Mark, hey, so I got a porn assistance track for this movie. I, I need someone to come play drums. And Tal's uh, busy. Can you be here? I said, you bet your ass I could be there. So I showed up, right? And it happened to be back in the days of New Jack Swing, like the really, I love playing that stuff, man. So I went in there, I made a chart. I went in there, I played it first take, I nailed it. I ran in there, he gave me the biggest tug. Well, from that point on, guess who he started using on drums? Mark Schulman. And guess who Keith Forsey co-wrote and produced all of his records? Billy Idol. Guess who else? Simple Minds. Well, look at my CV. Who have I played with? Billy Idol. Simple Minds. All because of that one call. You need to be fearless when you know that you're on source. And you need to have that capability, baby, because when I was put on that spot, if I didn't play that drum track well, it would have been done. But fortunately, yeah. God in the universe is with me, and I was prepared, and I was ready, and I played the snot out of that track, and you know, the rest is yeah. my story. Yeah. <laughs> the focal point of our lives is when opportunity and preparation meet. Boom. Pow. If we're ready. I love, that I love that. So, Mark, you said something about that phone call, though, that I want to point out that I think is really significant is, you know, it's again, it's attitude. So the guy tells you we're using a different drummer, but you're the drummer, right? That's it. Most people would have had the attitude about that circumstance that it was unfair that they've been victimized and what they would bring to the conversation is that's unfair you have to use me they would bring a complaint an attitude of complaint unfair life is happening to me and i'm filing a complaint with the uh the guy the british guy right but note the language that you used, which was you edified the other drummer. Like how many people would have taken that attitude and said, you know, he really can't stand up under the pressure. You know, he drinks too much. He does too many drugs, right? But no, you edify the other drummer. That's so powerful. And you accepted the guy's decision, right? Okay, you're going with that guy because you're close to him. You trust him. I get it. But if you ever need somebody, yeah. So you put yourself in a humble, graceful position. That's all attitude. And yeah, boldness to make the phone call, but brilliance to bring an attitude of humility and grace and service to that request that you made if they ever need you, as opposed to woe is me, the world is not fair, I'm being beat up on and let me whine at you, which well, you and I know what kind of results Hollywood will give you with that, right? Well, here's I got another line of questioning. It goes Go back to what I said is that we can't, there's so many things out of our control. 
And when you just know something's out of your control, you don't try to control it. So I was quick thinking, what's in within my control? Well, I can you know, boldly call this guy, you know, and Kevin was willing to give me his number. And, you know, most people wouldn't have even called because most people would have been chicken the yeah. call. And I was chicken. Right. It's not like, oh, I'm going to call. This. I'm like, no, my heart's beating. But, you know, look, you call. The worst thing you can say is no, or the worst thing that happens is nothing. Nothing happens. Right. But right. because I made the call, because I knew I couldn't control the situation. Also, I know how it goes, man. I'm a producer myself. I hire people I trust. This guy doesn't know me. He's not going to hire me. Why right. the hell would he? And right. I was bold enough to, I, I was only hired because he was stuck because Tal wasn't available. And he's like, ah, oh, well, this guy was good enough to get the 400 gig, so uh, I'll give him a shot. Yeah, well, you put your name in the hat. And so if you hadn't have done that, he wouldn't even even known you to call as a backup. So yeah. All well, right, another tact I'm very curious about because this is a place, Mark, that you've made a huge departure from the culture of rock and roll and Hollywood and Southern California and stardom is that you, you through the coaching of your life coach, you know, got clean and went pro. So like you decided at some point to take your career seriously, to take your performance seriously. It's like somebody training for the Olympics or, you know, somebody that's training to, to be a gold medalist in the Olympics you know, they're not doing drugs and they're not getting drunk every night and they're not staying up till four o'clock in the morning, right? If you're going to win a gold medal, you got to clean up your act. You got to give it everything you have. You can't put dirty gasoline in that 12 cylinder motor. You got to give, you got to bring your A game. And what was, what kind of coaching did you get that had you leave the popular lifestyle behind and bring your bring your A game to being a drummer for some of the biggest rock bands in the world, where you had to be an aberration in that culture. Tell me that story. Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, I do drink now. I just don't drink in excess. I didn't. I started That's drinking good. on the on on in 2000 uh, to toast. But you know, I I don't have a problem with it. I have allow myself. I, I'm a tequila snob, so I drink tequila, and I don't overdo oh, yeah, it. I know, it never I gets in the way of my work. <laughs> and, you know, it's it, it's not sex and drugs and rock and roll anymore because I'm a side man. I get paid, and as I said, I need to be really responsible. Nobody dares do a drink or a drug before we go on stage. If you want to party, you party afterwards, and and if you party excessively, you're gone. And there have been people I've seen on tours like that because they they yeah. they're out of control. So. For me, uh, you know, I, I had met Dr. Jim. I was in my original band. And frankly, I just, I overdid it one night. Woke up in the morning, felt crappy. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm just going to give it up for a while. Well, that lasted 17 years. You know, wow. I still don't do drugs. <laughs> but, <Right>. you know, <laughs> I enjoy drink. But, you know, it does, I, I, I enjoy what I do more than I enjoy the constant party and i'm also you know my, my wife says you know like i she goes you work harder than anybody well because my work to me i i love and i enjoy i mean my development of my speaking career has been joyful um 
I love to play drums. Um, I, I, my, it's the attitude of how I do it. I, I approach it like, well, I get to do this and, and what am I going to do and how can I approach this differently and how can I, you know, we, I think we need to shift gears and move everybody. All of us have moved our live speaking gigs to virtual gigs. So I've taken on the challenge of learning how to make the best virtual gig. That's why even with my Zoom interviews, right. I try to make it really cool with a good light and a good camera and my, and my backdrop, um, you know, because I believe yeah. that, you know, what's the saying? Uh, how we do anything is how we do everything. Right. So I do like to pay attention to the details. And I think that it's important you pay attention to those details. And when I made that commitment that every note matters with my drumming, it's just a little bit of an extension of what I do. And I'm far from perfect, but I do like to pay attention to those details and make sure that uh, uh, I, I think that's what's brought me, you know, a lot of this success. You know, like when I was up for the Stevie Nicks gig and I knew that Stevie's favorite drummer was uh, Mick Fleetwood because she's from Fleetwood Mac. So I just studied Mick's playing, man. I tuned my drums like Mick. You know, I knew I went in for the audition. I just was, it's like I was channeling Mick because yep. I knew that that's who she loved, right? So you yep. do your due diligence. You do the best you can. You control what you can control and you choose your attitude about what you can control. Excuse me, you, you, don't, you don't control what you can't control, but you choose your attitude about what you can control. Yeah, I think there's an old Lord's Prayer about something like that, right? <laughs> Grant me the serenity. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's the 12th the, the step, the serenity uh, 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 prayer. Yeah, Grant me exactly. the serenity to, I, don't, I don't remember myself, sorry. <laughs> I have, a, I hear a TED Talk and a book in something you just said, Mark. Every note counts. Yeah. It sounds like a TED Talk. Well, you know, it's funny. I've been invited to do TED Talks and I just haven't done them because I've been so busy with my speaking career. Um, honestly, I, I'd, I, I'd, I'd enjoy it. Um, but, but I also, you know, I wish I would have liked to have done one 10 years ago because <laughs> now it's yeah. like everybody and their brother's doing them and they're great. Trust me, if you're a beginner, yeah. like if anybody's listening and you are a new speaker and you can get a TED Talk because you need to be recommended, it can only help your career. It's a wonderful right. For me at this moment, um, I may, I still may, trust me. I I have, uh, look, I, I do videos every week. I love doing new videos on new topics. I send out newsletters. I do many videos. I have all these different topics, but I've got the, the, the next book is on the power of attitude. We don't even have the name yeah. yet. So that book's not even done. We just had a meeting with our editor today and we're, you know, we're working on it. So, but yeah, every, every note matters. I love that. That's great. And as yeah, a matter of fact, that's, that's a good, I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that and I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to do a mini, a mini speech on that uh, because I like to put out these mini speeches. I'm developing my YouTube channel now because I never there heard that before, but lately it's, I've had a little bit extra time because of COVID. So, you know. All right. So that's the last question I want to ask you. Uh, you, when you, you and I talked earlier about this and I was, or no, it was, I was listening to, uh, I was listening to your podcast um you, somebody was interviewing you i think and you were talking about um what inspired you to to take your passion from drumming and the life lessons from drumming and move it into the arena of corporate america and keynote speeches and coaches and coaching and writing and 
tell us that story. Like what was, what, what inspired you to make that transition? So yeah, you're still a rock star drummer, but now you're on the journey of being a rock star keynote speaker. What's that all about? What inspired you to do that? Well, I've done probably a thousand drum clinics, like, you, you know, clinics for drummers yep. and musicians. Yep. And it was a friend of mine. I was doing a clinic tour with a friend of mine who was very motivational. Dom Famularo, we call him the ambassador of drumming. And Dom said, he was telling me a story about it. He was doing a clinic. And then this guy comes up. The guy brought his son to the drum clinic and said, the guy said, I got a small corporation. Will you come and just do what you do? It's so motivating. He said, I think I got about $7,000. And we're like making 500 bucks. So Dom's like, uh, yeah. And in the back of my head, I always thought, you know, it's such a small microcosm of, of, of musicians. And I said, music is such a great metaphor for top performance. I could leverage what I do. I could basically do what I do as an extended drum clinic. I tell stories, I play drums. The difference is the stories have a lot of relevant, uh, the content has a lot of relevance to the corporate market. And I understand the corporate market and I talk to meeting planners and I talk to anybody I need to talk to. I've got management. And I work through different agencies, and I've created. And I then I ended up studying with two speaking coaches, an acting coach, a director, a storyteller, and I refined my craft so I'd be able to bring the rock star energy and stories, but provide this attitude times behavior equals consequence. It can't be, couldn't be more relevant than right now during COVID. Yeah. So I speak on that. I have a few other topics. Um, you know. Uh, Conquering Life Stage Fight, I will still speak on. Um, and uh, the rock, at your, uh, raising your, your RQ, your rock star quotient, um, which is another acronym, R-O-C-K, uh, read, own, commit, and know. So I de develop different concepts that I can do. And I customize it for the corporate audience, of course. And I might have one, one conference call, I might have five. But I always make sure I know who I'm speaking to, whether it's sales folks, IT folks, whether I'm doing an executive summit. I spoke to, you know, I spoke to Amex and Walmart and Dell and IBM. I even spoke to Jessica Alba's Honest Company. It was an executive summit with 20 people in a room the size of my bedroom with Jessica Alba sitting right there. And she's an amazing businesswoman. And, you know, it just seemed, it's an evolution for me. Because you could tell I'm right. very philosophical, and it just seemed like something I could do. And I'm certainly not short on 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 the gift of gab, uh, or not even the gift, just gab. <laughs> <laughs> and I energy. try to make sense of it all, and I want to be of value. You know, the way that I look at everything in life is we're here to be of service. When I'm on, whether I'm playing drums, I'm here to be of service to Pink, the band, the audience, the crew or I'm here to be of service to a meeting planner, a client, this massive audience of corporate people, and they want me to be who I am. You know, my first speaking gig, I wore a, a suit. And I quickly realized, like, they don't want the suit. They want this guy. This is what I wear. <laughs> they want me to be me and share what I can share about my industry. But my goal is not for them to walk away thinking, wow, Mark was cool. I show them how to be rock stars and how to give them the swagger, quote unquote. That's my goal. And so they can walk away feeling like they get a little bit of this rock and roll attitude. And I even give everybody, I give them their own rock and roll name and I give away a signed snare drum. And I do all, it's, it's, I call it a rock show disguised as a keynote because I can. Yep. 
That's why I do it. I, yeah. I leverage my, you know, quote unquote, drumming celebrity to be of service to people. There's a couple of more attitudes, folks. The rock star attitude and the be of service attitude. Yeah. You're loaded with them, Mark. Your little nuggets, big nuggets, actually. Uh, go on, Richard. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. No, I mean, you walk your talk, Mark. I'm, lis I'm listening to you answer the questions for the last 45 minutes. And I'm listening for the congruency and the integrity of your message. And... You know, you're all about attitude. And then when you talk about how you've done what you've done, you've always nailed it with attitude. And I just love talking to people that walk the talk, that have real stories, that have failed, they have triumphed, they've learned from it. And their life is about helping other people along that same journey. And that's what I hear from you in spades. First time we talked, I loved your energy. I loved your laugh. I loved, I loved your stories, and I so appreciate you spending the time to be on the Authentic Networker podcast. Where's the? Where do you want people to go to find you? Your YouTube channel, your website? My website. Where do people latch on to you? You, know, you, you can follow my Instagram and my Twitter are at Marky Planet, M-A-R-K-Y-P-L-A-N-E-T, and my website, markshulman.com. You can email me directly at mark at markshulman.com. I answer every email. It might take me a month. It might take me a few weeks, but I answer every email. And, and that's it. And um, I just, you know, I love to be of service, and I wish you all such great prosperity and joy and evolution through this fascinating, what I call the new frontier that we're experiencing right now. Yeah, we certainly are, aren't we? This too right, shall pass, I promise. It will. Go find Mark at, at Marky Planet, Instagram, Twitter, or MarkShulman.com. Thank you, Mark. I so appreciate Thank your time you. and energy. You rock, buddy. Thanks, everybody. Mwah. Big love. Cut. And we're done. All right. That was well, easy. Great job, man. I really happy, love man. your I'm stuff. Sorry that, I'm sorry I messed up the first time with the schedule, but we got it, and here we are. So. Yeah, that's beautiful. Go do what you got to do. And uh, we'll be in touch with some media assets when we launch this in a couple of weeks. Sounds great. If there's anything you need from me, Brett, you let me know. I'm here for Thank you. you, sir. Thanks, Thank bro. you. Take care. Yeah, bye. Cheers, yep. bye. Thank you for tuning into the Authentic Networker podcast. There are over 100 episodes to study, including another 100 blog articles at richardbrook.com.